and welcome. I'm Uri. And I'm Rifki. And you're listening to Talkin' Tachlis, the podcast where we talk about Jewish life and life in general. So Rifki, did you get any feedback on last week's episode? Yeah, I thought it was good. I, it was interesting. A couple of uh, a couple of responses I got from listeners were people who were like, what were you thinking about? You Like you left it off in this oh, mystery well, at the end. Now is your chance to, yeah. to share that. The truth is, I'm, I'm honestly still kind of uh, ruminating over it a little bit. I think one of the things that fundamentally, and I was torn in both directions on this, but one of the things that was, I was, I think, having a little trouble with in our conversation was it felt like we were using a lot of language about them, about mm-hmm. kind of like us being these like rational, thoughtful, never make poor decisions, always listen to science and expert and just like doing things the right way versus them who are troubled and make poor decisions. And, you know, it kind of like often, I think, goes to other th- other times where modern Orthodox Jews, quote unquote, talk about Haredi Jews, quote unquote, as well, right? Talk about the way their their approach to education, their approach to X, Y, Z, like mm-hmm. all of these things. I think we, we often have this language of like, why are they bad? And why are why aren't they good like us? And I think that's what was bothering me. Uh, right. Even though I know that I, I do the same thing, right? I'm very much a part of this. I'm a, I'm a moralistic, judgmental person, right? When it comes to groups that I don't understand, I very much, you know, think, why do they do that? You know, what, what is it about them? And I think that that's what was hard for me. Even though, yeah. I, I just want to add, this isn't David, right? David was, he, he was coming from a place of love and empathy. This is his people. This is his family. And I think he was very clear about that. But um, something about it was just making me a little uncomfortable. Yeah, I think that's, I understand that was bothering that. me. I understand. I guess I, I had an, a feeling that it was something along those lines. And I think that's very, very sensitive of you. But I mean, they these aren't others. These are our people also. They're David's people and they're our people. And I think they're should be a way and there is a way that we can criticize each other when it's clear that we're coming from a place of brotherhood where not only are we part of the same people we're both or- we're orthodox jews you know we have that in common also and and i think we can be disappointed in in other groups and we can criticize other groups and i think we did do it in a sensitive way maybe we could have been a little bit more sensitive but i think david especially he lives in brooklyn and he really is part of that community a lot more than you and i are um so i think he also was was speaking a little bit more in a critical way but with a clear understanding that I think he did give across that he has a lot of sympathy and connection with that world. And he's, he's, this is coming from a place of love. I think he said that explicitly mm-hmm. um, and not from a place of, you know, anything negative. Mm-hmm. I, you know, the tr- I, I think you're right. And I think David is a little bit different than, than maybe you and I in this respect, but I do wonder, and, and maybe this is a, a slightly new topic if we can hold off for, for a different episode about this. But I do wonder sometimes, you know, one of the things that you said, which I think we want to be true, is like, look, fundamentally, we're all part of the same community. You know, like, we're all, we're, we're all see each other as part of this brotherhood or sisterhood or community. And I, I often don't know if that's well, true. Well, I don't think I don't we all know. see each other that way. I don't know if they see us that way. Very likely a lot of them don't. I Could see them well that be. way. Maybe you do, but I, I don't know. If we took a survey of people in the modern Orthodox community, you know, you go into the modern Orthodox schools, you go into Frisch, you go into SAR, you go into TABC and say, hey, do you feel like you would feel more aligned having a half an hour or an hour conversation with a random person from Teaneck High? Or would you feel more comfortable or more aligned having an hour conversation with someone from deep in the midst of Haredi, Brooklyn? I would guess. You'd probably get a mix. 
of course you get a mix. It's not going to be a hundred mm-hmm. and zero. Okay, so but, yeah, but but I would right. imagine that it would lean towards T neck high. Do you think I'm wrong Maybe. about that? I'm not saying I mean, that's a good or bad thing, but I'm not we should, sure. We should save this for another discussion, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I actually don't know if that's so true. I, th- I do think especially um, in, in more right-leaning segments of the modern Orthodox community, there's like the whole neo-Hasidic movement, and I think the yeshivish or Hasidish um, community is actually looked at with a certain amount of reverence as if like they're quote-unquote more religious than us and we can look towards them in a lot of ways for in terms of spirituality in terms of um, Jewish adherence I think a lot of modern orthodox people do think in that way and they would feel a lot more connected to to somebody from that a community like that in Brooklyn than to somebody from uh, Tina Kai as you said yeah I mean there's so uh, well, you're right we should we should push this off to a new topic okay. but I'm very interested in continuing this conversation mm-hmm. um, but is there did you get any interesting feedback Anything you want to share? Um, not, not much worth adding other than the fact that um, Stechemed was brought up and that is David's main uh, job and his father started the camp. His father's pretty legendary rabbi that we didn't really get into, but um, he, that could be a whole episode in itself. Um, very fascinating and impressive um, person. But so I spoke to some, some of my friends who were in Stechemed with me, including some Tacheds, um, <laughs> and kind of reminisced on some, some fun memories. Very cute. It's funny. I actually had never heard of Stechemed until talking to mm-hmm. David. Um, I wonder that's if that's been another for a long statement time. about yeah. different types of modern orthodoxy. Okay. Well, you know, we'll save it all. We'll save it uh-huh. all. My name is Uri Westrich. Um, so far, uh, camp's great. About, only about a week left. It's gone by really quickly. Uh, we just got back from Shabbos Yushalayim. Uh, it was great. Uh, Dominating at the Kotel. Everything it was great. Stay ahead of it. Does not compare to other camps. It's it's uh, better in every way. Trips, the food, the staff, the kids. So last week on October 22nd, the liberal American Zionist organization Americans for Peace Now held a Yitzhak Rabin 25-year memorial event, remembering Yitzhak Rabin, the Israeli politician, statesman, and general, 25 years after his assassination. Americans for Peace Now is a sister group of the left-wing Israeli organization Peace Now, which is both staunchly Zionist and critical of Israel's occupation of the West Bank. The event was to celebrate and remember a man who was gunned down by a right-wing extremist who opposed the Oslo Accords, which was a pair of agreements in the peace process between Israel and the Palestinians, where the Palestinians would recognize Israel and the Palestinians would be granted more autonomy with hope for an eventual Palestinian state. So the Oslo Accords were famously signed by Rabin, along with, you know, you probably have that picture in your head, Uri, of that that famous Mm -hmm. photo with Yasser Arafat and Bill Clinton on the White House lawn. Yep. So the headliners of this event were a real mix of Israelis and Americans, mostly but not all Jewish, but all of them liberal, as far as I saw from the website. However, one famous headliner pulled out just weeks before the event. U.S. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who's a rising star in the progressive wing of the Democratic Party, had been scheduled to attend the commemoration and to speak. But after backlash from both journalists and Palestinian civil rights groups, she withdrew from the event. In her tweet, as she was thinking about the event, AOC wrote, This event and my involvement was presented to my team differently from how it's being promoted. Which, Uri, I don't know about you, but when I saw that, I was kind of thinking, like, that's kind of just a vague way of saying, like, uh, I didn't really know what I was getting into, maybe. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> of course, upon pulling out of the event, the backlash on the other side ensued, with arguments that AOC caved in to this liberal, reflexive, anti-Israel pressure, even to the point where you can't commemorate an Israeli leader who literally died for peace. From left to right, 
Zionist groups expressed their anger and disappointment with AOC, and they asked, is there any room for Zionism in the progressive left? So, Uri, what do we think? Why did AOC decide not to participate? Because she really didn't say much. Was she wrong to, to pull out or to join and then to pull out? What does it mean about Zionism in the progressive world? Well, Rivke, you asked some good questions. Oh, thank you so um, much. I, I think the simple answer is, to: is there room in the progressive left for Zionism? I, I think the answer is really no, especially um, at least where it's heading in the very near future. Right off the bat, the first thing I would say about the AOC thing is like, it's not that she was asked and said no, because then we wouldn't know about it. The right. fact, it's the whole thing of like, saying you'll do it and then there's a backlash on Twitter and then you back out like we've seen that so many times like with people going to Israel also like like Lord the singer was right. scheduled to play in Israel she's a more famous example but it has happened a number of times and then there was a backlash and then she backed out and then there was also that um, Genesis prize with Natalie Portman she was supposed to accept it and then she backed out of that so it's like you you just look really there's no good way to pr that you look when you do that because either you didn't know what you were doing which makes you look stupid or you just caved into pressure, which makes you look weak. So, I mean, not that I had that much respect for AOC before this, but I think this just added to the way I already thought about her, which is that she's not very impressive and not very intelligent. She acknowledged herself in that famous interview that she doesn't know very much about Israel and the Middle East. And so this is just another example, I think. It's like, I think it's also just very ironic of what this event was and what the organization was running it. It was run by Americans for Peace Now, which is the, you know, affiliate of the Peace Now group, which is an Israeli left wing in Israel. Most people would say like on the fringes of the left wing peace movement in Israel of liberal Zionism. Really? And in Israel, it's on the fringes within the left? Of, lib of liberal Zionism. Yeah. I mean, obviously, if you go further and you get into anti-Zionism, that's more to the left, I guess you would I say. I would have thought but, that peace now was kind of mainstream within the left of Israel, but what do I know? Uh, I could be wrong. At least traditionally, I think the goalposts may have moved over this, which is part of what I want to get into. But it's like it was a super liberal organization. And the point is that and they're commemorating Yitzhak Rabin, as, as you said, was like literally in a way killed for, for peace, for his peace activism. And... I'm sure, and so Peace Now criticizes Israel all the time. They Obviously, they hate Netanyahu, and they criticize Israel's policies, the occupation. And I'm sure they would have been thrilled for AOC to spend her entire speech criticizing Netanyahu and criticizing the, the occupation and saying, if only we had peace and we didn't have occupation, th the Palestinians would be okay. They would have loved that talk from her. And, and she, so that's why I think it's extra ironic. It was basically just a huge slap in the face to progressive Zionists and to Peace Now that AOC said yes and then backed out, where even Peace Now and even Yitzhak Rabin is too um, right-wing, I guess, for, for her. I think she actually, once she found out what she was actually getting herself into, she didn't want to be a part of it because she, doesn't, she wouldn't want to be a part of anything that calls itself Zionist no matter how left-wing Zionist it is. You think in the first place she didn't know that this was from Zionists? I don't want to assume, make assumptions about what she knew, what she didn't know. But I think once she thought, maybe she said yes without thinking about it so much. But I, I don't think she would want to associate, I don't think it's a stretch to say she wouldn't want to associate with any organization that calls itself Zionist. 
I think we'd have to, I, to me, I, I don't get that at all. And I think we'd have to like kind of hear more. I think it's a, it's a stretch yeah, to make maybe. a claim. That's not direction. my, I don't want, that's but, not my main but, Uri, point. I want, but I want to go back to, to the, one of the first things you said, because this is what okay. I want to understand. One of the questions I asked is, so what does it mean? Is there room for Zionism in the progressive world? And you said mm -hmm. like, basically, it seems like this seems to show you that like, no, there isn't. So mm -hmm. I don't want to push back. I just want to understand that more. Because if you look at the rest of the list of people who spoke at this event, right, these were many, many many Americans who are involved in left-wing, liberal, progressive politics, yeah. right? So Keith Ellison spoke, right? Keith Ellison is the attorney general in, I think, Minnesota. Um, mm -hmm. And he's, he's a very active in progressive circles. Uh, he himself is Arab, and he, 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 uh, he's one of the speakers. And, and I'm just curious, kind of... Kind yeah, of, for sure. Make your claim. I'm pretty sure it was emceed by Mandy Patinkin, yes. right? Famous actor, uh, Princess Bride, and Homeland, and, and others, uh, also right. very Jewish, and uh, I guess involved with politics, very left-wing. Very left-wing, um, very Jewish. Yeah, very left-wing, very Jewish. And um, I, I think that actually supports what I want, what I, the way I see this, which is that it's, it's a generational thing. The older generation of liberals and liberal, liberal Jews, liberal Zionists, have a more nuanced, they have a soft spot for Israel because they remember when Israel was the underdog, and they still call themselves Zionists, and they still have a hope for peace. I guess two-state solution is probably the most popular way of thinking about it in that crowd. And, you know, groups like J Street, which used to be thought of as, like, far left in America, now are, like, first of all, centrist, I think, but also not really so relevant. There was actually um, an op-ed in the New York Times by Roger Cohen, Again, an, a little bit older, Jewish, very liberal, very critical of Israel um, in the paper, but also a Zionist, liberal Zionist, I think. Um, and he criticized AOC for this decision, but he also called her possibly the most courageous politician of her generation. Fine. But he quotes Jeremy Ben-Ami from J Street. And the quote from Jeremy Ben-Ami was, it was a really bad sign of where the progressive democratic head is. I cannot understand this. The excuse given is not worthy of who she is. Okay, so that's Jeremy Ben-Ami from J Street, and he's expressing his clear frustration that he's, he's basically saying, hey, look, we are progressive, we are liberal, we want two states, we care about Palestinian rights, we criticize Israel all the time, but that's not enough for the younger generation, for the if-not-now crowd, for the people who, are fo who follow AOC. It's literally a generational thing. They just won't accept anything that calls itself Zionist because they'll point to... I don't know, IDF, occupation, Yitzhak Rabin was involved in 48, and they just can't get past that, and I just think that's where the movement is going. I mean, does that answer your question? Does that make sense? So it sounds like what you're saying is that there's a generational divide, right? It's not that Zionism doesn't exist in the progressive world, it's that Zionism doesn't exist in the young progressive world. Yes, even look at, look at politicians. of the yeah, Democratic Party, maybe. Exactly. Like, who, who does it? Involve like Chuck Schumer, even Joe Biden, I would say, even Barry, uh, even, even Joe Ber Biden, even Joe Biden, and even no, well, even Bernie what Sanders. A also, you are. I think even Bernie Sanders, I don't know if he would call himself a liberal Zionist, but I, I saw in one of these articles I was looking at, like he has spoken recently at some of these similar type of events, and in those speeches, he's very critical of Israel, but like he associates with them, he doesn't boycott them, and I think the older generation of Democrats like Schumer, Biden, Sanders, and a little bit 
further back, Joe Lieberman, who is no longer, I guess, identifies as a Democrat because he saw where things were moving. They do understand the nuance <laughs> and they, they are in favor of two states. No, you're laughing. Uh, it's true. <laughs> so I, I think I th- it, it also relates. I think we hopefully will get into the, the Barry Weiss article um, where she talked about some of this. But back when she wrote her um, her letter of resignation from the New York Times a few months ago, she talked about this at the New York Times. She said there's a generational gap. She wasn't talking about Israel specifically, but she said the older generation at the New York Times is able to hear other sides. They're able to have a nuanced conversation. And the younger generation sees good and evil, and they see racist and anti-racist, and that's all they see. And they can't get more nuanced than that. There was pushback. People at the New York Times denied the reality of that. But I I tend to believe Barry Weiss because it it just it makes sense. Denied the reality of that is such a strong statement. People said that's not true. How else would you say that? When you say, okay, I thought you were saying denied the reality. I mean, like there is reality. Barry Weiss is calling it out and they're denying. Oh, no, that's not what I that's not what I meant. I meant people at the New York Times said that's not true. Okay, so they're they're they see a different narrative, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think. Yeah, <laughs> there's so many directions that, that I want to go in right now. So, I mean, Uri, fundamentally, I, I think that, I mean, this is something disagree? that we, we talk about think, a lot. Yeah. Is that I, I don't feel like I feel confident one way or the other, right? Okay. It's, it's, I think, very, I can say very clearly, I don't want it to be true, right? I don't want it to be true that the progressive future of the Democratic Party and the progressive future of America sits very, very squarely in the anti-Zionist camp. I don't want that to be true. That I could say for sure. Whether it's true or not, I, I have my doubts, honestly. Like, Do you AOC, have a counter-argument or support to say that? The, sure. Like, AOC says, I strongly believe in the two-state solution. I strongly believe Israel deserves to be a state. I'm not so knowledgeable about this. I think AOC made a really dumb political choice going there in the first place and saying, yeah, sure. It's like Rabin was a peaceful guy. Oh, wow. He, he signed accords. He shook Yasser Arafat's hand. Sounds like a great decision. I'm in. She didn't do her research. Her team didn't do their research. That was a really stupid political decision. And it was a really poor moral decision to pull out, right? Because it wasn't brave. As you, as you said, it was very weak. She could have said, look, this is complicated. I need to do more research. Maybe I jumped in too quickly. And then she could have done more research and said, okay, I'm going to give a critical speech. Or Keith Ellison gave a critical speech. Speech. He said, right. there's a lot about Yitzhak Rabin that I'm not comfortable with. I do believe that he committed actual serious, I think he used the term war crimes, right? Okay. Maybe I'm not 100. Oh, no, he said human rights abuses. Okay, fine. Um, like he, 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 but he was comfortable saying like, but yet there's a reason I'm here. And here's what that reason is. And AOC could have done that. She could have been really, really brave, but she didn't choose that path. She chose to make the politically expedient decision and say, look, I know where my supporters are. My supporters don't want me here. So I'm not going to do this, right? right. Which I, I think is is cowardly. Look, you don't when think I say she's the most courageous politician of her generation? Uh, uh, Roger Cohen said perhaps the most courageous. Uh, but I'm asking <laughs> you what you think. She's 31. <laughs> How old is she? She's a child. Look, and I don't say she's a child. As as I'm not making fun of her. 31 year old politicians are allowed to make a lot of mistakes. This is, is one of them. I, I see this as being a serious mistake. I think it was a, uh-huh. a political mistake to go in in the first place, and it was a moral mistake to pull out, right? I think these okay. things are, are, are poor choices that she made. Um, but look, at the end of the day, 
I'm sympathetic. I'm sympathetic to the the Palestinian argument and sympathetic to the Palestinian narrative here of saying, look, I know that you guys think that Yitzhak Rabin is a is a hero because he shook Yasser Arafat's hand or whatever. But like this is what he did to my grandparents. These are the villages that he pushed out. There are specific policies that he signed off on that ended up that that not ended up as like a coincidence like he signed off on expelling tens of thousands of Palestinian civilians from their villages right and then in the first intifada where you talk about like broken bones whether it's official policy or not bottom line is Yitzhak Rabin was one of the people I'm not saying he was the mastermind I'm not saying he was like oh this is hilarious and he went home and cackled himself at night but because of him a lot of soldiers broke the bones of protesters, including children, right? So these people remember I myself had my arms broken when I was protesting a policy that I thought was unfair, right? I was holding a placard and my legs were broken, right? So I think it's really pretty fair for them to say, look, I understand he did other things also and I understand maybe he has a complicated legacy, but this is really, really painful for us and for our narrative here, right? And I think sometimes, I, I think in the other direction, right? Let's say this was some sort of, uh, let's say this was some sort of event on honoring Arafat, right? Like, Mm -hmm. wouldn't we be pretty... We think of Arafat, Arafat signed off on suicide bombings, right? This is a guy who signed off on really evil, awful things that terrorized our community, right? And yes, he also did... Like, he's a complicated person. We're all complicated people. But we'd be like, you know what? He, He changed. He mellowed as he got older. No, we're very cynical about Arafat. So it's pretty fair for them to be pretty cynical about Rabin also, isn't it? So let's say Bernie Sanders were signed up to speak at a memorial for Arafat or something. And we were like, wait, what the heck? Like, oh, this so is like, really would we be okay with Ber- Would we right. criticize Bernie Sanders yeah. for agreeing like, to speak? Wouldn't, wouldn't we? Like, could you imagine a world in which we were not criticizing Bernie Sanders for that? Listen, I, I totally get what you're saying. And I'm, I don't mean to... Everything that you said obviously has a counter argument of like the, the decisions that he made as a general, as a prime minister, the broken bones, the intifada. It, it was not a, a peaceful um, uprising as, as, peop- as I saw everybody talking about, you know, when they're talking about it now with the broken bones. Like it was a peaceful thing. And he went and broke everyone's bones. No, like, some I think of them were peaceful and some of them weren't peaceful. Okay, of right. I'm just saying it's complicated. I don't, I don't want to get into the specifics. Um, obviously, I'm just saying that there is a response to, to all of those things. I, but I, I, of course, yes, I hear what you're saying that uh, in the other direction, we wouldn't want anybody to associate with something commemorating Arafat. So it's fair that they wouldn't want to associate in the reverse. But that doesn't mean that, you know, so is that all the decision that there is? Like, what do the Palestinians think? And then we decide based on that. Or do we go by America and Israel are allies and the Oslo Accords were a monumental event in a lot of people's minds. But because some people... Are upset and because the legacy was a little bit complicated therefore we have to completely write it off and boycott it you know what i mean like things can be complicated and we can still talk about them so i i'm just saying i understand where, what you're saying about giving the other side and the sympathy but to me that doesn't really take it very far it still leaves you at a very simplistic overly simplistic non-nuanced unhelpful probably destructive way of viewing this conflict on the part of I, AOC I think Dafka Lehefech, I think that's totally not true. I think I think that what what I'm trying to say is not an oversimplification. What I'm trying to say is look I'm not saying you I'm not saying no, you I know, I know, you're I know, defending I the people who right, are but, doing but, the boycott. What I'm saying is that there's there's empathy to be had on all sides. And I do think and I think I'm, I'm saying it very clearly, I think AOC made a mistake. I think she made a political mistake to accept it in the first place and a moral mistake to pull out. But I don't think that 
her mistake negates that there's a lot of Palestinian pain that she's listening to. She's also listening to where the political winds are and who her actual supporters are and how she's going to get reelected and how she's going to raise money for her next election to, you know, f- fight the primaries from within and all of those yeah. things, right? She's also making that sort of calculus. But I don't think it's crazy that she she's saying that she, she's making the decision she's making because yeah. I think that Palestinians have a narrative here, and yeah. I just want to and and, mm-hmm. and maybe I don't maybe I don't feel super comfortable and maybe me I'm me Rifki Stern maybe I don't feel super comfortable with with what I see as the future of, of progressive politics when it comes to Zionism I'm not sure I don't feel great about it but I'm also holding out judgment till till we see more but I'm also sympathetic to the argument that for decades and for generations the palestinian narrative was erased from both the democratic and the republican party in america so the fact that now it's coming in at a really strong force i think that's like pretty fair okay i mean i i take a little bit of issue saying it was erased as opposed to it wasn't addressed sure it wasn't zero let's say Israel's enemy they are america's enemy they're a terrorist organization fine but but i said the palestinians how are the palestinians uh, the people running the palestinian government and and you're talking about a specific government that's a different thing i'm saying the palestinian narrative but i'm saying the palestinian the fact that these villages were destroyed yes Right. To the, say that it was erased are, is, a, is one way of saying it. To say that it wasn't addressed is a, is another way. Fine. Sure. That's not really. That's not really the we point. We can use your I mean, language. I just no, no, no. I'm just, I'm just saying. No, no, another, no, I agree. I'm saying that I, I don't think that's okay. the important part. I'm saying right, like right, the important fine. part is the fact that that's that it was ignored. Yeah, I also just think a part of the irony that I alluded to before is that a lot of times when people more on the middle or right wing Zionist or any kind of Zionist are uncomfortable with AOC and the squad, you know, the, the four congresswomen known as the squad, and, and there are many problematic statements about Israel and also about Jews. A lot of times the response that you'll get is dismissive, not to say that what they said is not problematic, but like, they're just congresswomen, like in a very, very large group of Congress that they do not represent the consensus of the Democratic Party. They do not represent the consensus of America They're, You know what I mean? Like, don't and you're and people and it's true. People are obsessed with them. They're obsessed with AOC. They're obsessed with um, Ilhan Omar. And, and they so they so the accusations they're, they're you're blowing this way out of proportion. And it's really not as bad as you say. What's interesting and ironic, again, is that peace now went after AOC, they, they're the ones that asked her to speak. Clearly, they do think that she's relevant and important. Roger Cohen says she's the most courageous politician of her generation. Like, a lot perhaps. of people are... Perhaps. Okay, perhaps. perhaps the most courageous. Yes, yes. My, my, I'm just the saying, reason, like... I just, to, to our listeners, the yeah. reason I keep harping on that is because uh. before we started recording, we were talking about this line. And I think that, I think in general, when people, when, and editorials or op-eds where people say, perhaps the most blah, 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 I'm like, that's just a way of, of saying, like, well, I didn't say it. I said you perhaps. It, right. it just, it's, right. a, it's a meaningless thing to say. So I'm just really right. making fun of Roger Cohen here. If yeah, Roger, if you're fun- listening, I'm sorry. We'd love to have you on that's the show. That's a funny line. We would love to have you on the show. Um, so my, my point is that like you look at the at peace now and the, and the left wing progressive Zionists themselves, they're seeking out AOC. They see her as important as the new face, the future face of the leadership of the Democratic Party. And that just makes the slap in the face all the more, you know, brutal against back on themselves. And I think it also s- confirms what the you know, the people that I was quoting in the in the first place who are scared of AOC and scared of what she's where she's taking the party and the movement um, I think it is something to be concerned about and do, do you want to get into the the Barry Weiss thing sure 
Okay, so do you want to tell the listeners what that is? Sure. So Barry Weiss, uh, this was a, a, a cup, maybe a week or two before the event, but also a week or two after AOC pulled out of the event. She wrote an article for Tablet. And Barry Weiss, if we remember, so she was at the New York Times for a few years. She was kind of the, the right wing, very pro you know, Zionist, probably a, a moderate Zionist, but I think... Yeah, in, I don't think calling her right-wing is fair, because I think in most right wing ways in, she's... for the New York Times editorial pages, no? Do you think that's incorrect? Uh, only on, like, Israel and maybe a couple of other things. I mean, she was extremely... She calls herself a Democrat. I don't I don't think it's fair to call her right-wing. I'm, I'm saying... Whatever. Okay, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Okay, Barry Weiss, a person who has different opinions, some more right-wing, some more left... She People accuse her of being right wing. Yeah. Accuse? You make it sound like it's so bad to be right wing, or that a lot of people think it is. Oh my gosh! Well, she's just a person. Barry Weiss, if you're listening, we'd love to have you too. So Barry Weiss wrote an article for Tablet, which is I'm not sure if she's writing there now, but this is the first thing I've seen published since she left the Times. She used to be at Tablet, so okay. she probably has a relationship with them. Okay. So she wrote this article called Stop Being Shocked. American liberalism is in danger from a new ideology, one with dangerous implications for Jews. And she uses the AOC story as kind of a jumping off point, right? Mm -hmm. Saying that the fact that AOC, who's this uh, superstar in the future of progressive politics in America, right? The fact that she pulled out of this event honoring Yitzhak Rabin basically is a stronger statement. And basically, I think Uri's saying similar to, to what you're saying is Almost that, that we're naive to be surprised about that. People who are left-wing Zionists are naive to be upset, like, oh my God, I can't believe that she wasn't there. It, it's She's just understanding what the progressive coalition is about. And American Jews who believe in Zionism are not welcome in that room. Do you think that I'm accurately sh sharing her, her narrative? Yeah, I think so. And then it's actually a pretty long article and Rifki, I'm, I'm very curious for your thoughts on it. I, I was not totally impressed by the article, but she basically goes through a lot of different kind of anecdotal examples backing up this point with the Israel thing. But also she she connects it more broadly. She says this is only one part of the of the broader thing of, of like you said, replacing liberalism with a new ideology that doesn't yet have a name. Um, but as, as she says, uh, that new ideology is a mixture of postmodernism, postcolonialism, identity politics, neo-Marxism, critical race theory, intersectionality, and the therapeutic mentality. How many of these <laughs> words do you think were like in our lexicon three years ago? Not it just many. it feels like you just like listed the buzzwords. <laughs> these are the buzzwords. I remember the first time I learned about intersectionality. That was fun. <laughs> Um, so, so Uri, what did you? Th so, you weren't so impressed with the article? Well, I mean, I, I don't disagree with her. At the end of the day, I think it was interesting. She so, uh, and of those that list of buzzwords, she kind of focuses on critical race theory, which um, maybe we can touch on briefly. Uh, I'd be very curious to hear your thoughts on that. And she talks about like the dangers and the, like the harmfulness to our culture of critical race theory and this new way of seeing racism and anti-racism and, and in stark contrast according to her and i think many people to the way martin luther king viewed racism when he said we should judge people by the content of their character not the color of their skin it's really come full circle now where it's like we should only look at the color of their skin 
Did I, is that accurate? Do you think that's what she said? Is that? I, I'm not sure. Honestly, it's a, it's a it's a long article, and I read it several times. And every time I read it, I was like, kind of paused at different points, and said to myself, like, is she really saying blah 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 blah? And then I'm like, I'm not sure if that is actually what she's saying. So so okay. I'm honestly not sure. Like I feel like there. I I if I had like written it out, if I'm sorry, if I had printed it out and I'd been like highlighting and taking notes, mm-hmm. which is what I often like to do with long articles, I think I would have ended up with a lot of questions. I do think that a lot of her statements. Like she talked a lot about um, Ibram Kendi, who wrote about how to be an right. anti-racist, and he's right. very like in vogue these days. Yeah. Uh, I think she she's making really poor claims about Ibram Kendi's argument. I think she's she's also misstating, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. I think which is which is like a pretty simple, you know, Martin Luther King, right? That, that quote. So what that was you just wrong said, about the way I presented right, it? Right. So so that I'll read I'll read the quote out loud. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. He's not saying, in an ideal world... Race makes no difference, and guess what? We're coming close to that world. I'm not right? saying Nothing that either. Like that. Neither is, I don't think that's what right. Barry Weiss but, but, is saying. But what Kendi is trying to say is not the only thing that should matter is race, right? That, that that's the language that you said. I, I actually I don't I don't I don't remember the exact words that you said, but like the only thing we should be judged by is the color of our skin and not the content of our character. That is not what Ibram Kendi is saying, and that's not what anti-racism is is saying either, right? They're saying that the picture is a lot more nuanced, and understanding context matters, and understanding race matters and therefore trying to be colorblind is not realistic and is not useful and i don't think that martin luther king jr would disagree with that yeah the colorblind thing i think is just like a straw man that that people on the on the other side on the progressive side use to knock down people who are trying to say oh martin luther king martin luther king you know like nobody's saying let's be colorblind the point is well i'll read a quote from the barry weiss thing Racism is no longer about individual discrimination. It is about systems that allow for disparate outcomes among racial groups. If everyone doesn't finish the race at the same time, then the course must have been flawed and should be dismantled. And she brings the example of how people want to get rid of the SATs because that's somehow racist. And because black students don't do as well as white students, therefore it must be flawed and must be racist. She talks about the New York Times opinion piece that I remember reading a few months ago where somebody, uh, this person I think was some sort of classical music expert, called for an end to blind auditions. And that's exactly, I think, a perfect example where this thing was instituted specifically to give minorities more of a chance where there's literally like a curtain up when the person is... both of them. Yeah, there's a curtain up and the people who are who are judging to decide who's going to be in the orchestra can't see who's playing and the person playing can't see who's judging. You would think that that would be the ideal. And then this person is saying, no, that's actually racist. And here's how we have to do it. Basically, just like giving preference. And I guess it's a affirmative action type thing. But that's that's what I'm saying. And it's not saying let's be colorblind. I think that's a straw man. And that's an unfair oversimplification of what that's saying. It's saying Things have gotten to this crazy place that just doesn't make sense. And it's really come full circle. It's like, you know, the horseshoe thing where the, these anti-racist policies actually are pretty racist, in my opinion. <laughs> but anyway, we're talking so about funny. Israel. Wait, I just I just want to like quickly say like it's so funny like early like sometimes when you're speaking like I'm like I feel like I'm like all right all right I'm with you either I follow or I'm like maybe seventy percent agreeing whatever whatever and then you get to the last slide and I'm like what you just said is insane. Well, I'm just trying to get you to react. I'm getting I'm trying to get a rise out of you for our <laughs> listeners. I, they want they want to be entertained. Come on. But it's such a crazy thing to say 
they're like, it's actually more racist than, and the blacks are the real racists. Like, come on, what are you, like our great, crazy great uncles? Like, come on, Uri, they're not the real racists. And to say, right, I wasn't saying they're the real racists. Okay, I know, I know, that, I know. Yeah. But, but this argument, right, racism is no longer about individual discrimination. It is about systems, right? Right, you love the systems I mean, thing. Do, do you think she's, do you think that, that that's wrong? Right, like racism is about both, right? Like race, there is individual discrimination, which is racism, right? If I walk up to a person who is black and say, cross the street, I don't want to be at the same side of the street as a black person, that's racism. But also systems can be racist, right? System, like there are, right? Redlining was a racist system, right? And even though redlining, sorry, uh, let me, redlining basically was a policy that existed, which, um, uh, people were uh, black people were kind of like not uh, there were uh, federal laws prohibiting black people from getting mortgages in certain areas and to to basically set up housing discrimination that black people were not allowed to live in certain neighborhoods and redlining basically only was considered illegal in the past I don't know maybe maybe 40 years ago there are a lot of and there's a million policies like that obviously right racist systems that indiscriminately not indiscriminately very discriminately but basically it affected a race as a whole right not individual racism systems right are a huge part of what racism is right so for her to say like isn't it crazy people think now it's about systems i know she said it in an oversimplified way i was also a little bit surprised by how much she oversimplified things but that doesn't it shouldn't just detract from her overall point which i think is still there because like when you when you blame everything on systems what you're basically doing is now, no matter what individuals do, no matter how nice they are to everybody and, and equal and stuff, that won't matter because that's not the ultimate problem. The ultimate problem is the system, this vague thing that basically can only be fixed by overhauling our entire, I don't know, society. That is what these people are calling for. Ibram Kendi, I, I think that's what he calls for, dismantling our entire society. I don't think that... <laughs> makes a lot of sense, but that's that's where things are at. That's what people are calling for. I mean, I, I maybe we should try to tie this back to the to the Jewish well, I don't Israel even, uh, thing. Okay, yeah. Okay, fine, fine, fine. Oh, Brandon and Rifke. Um, I'm happy to come. I'm happy to come back to the Jewish thing. But fundamentally, it, her argument is that um, American liberalism. Uh, not only ha- she she says d- dangerous implications for Jews, but I think what she what she really is saying is that like. Jews are not welcome unless they explicitly stand up and say, I'm an anti-Zionist. Purity right? Is test, that- yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, and I- what I would fundamentally say to that, and Uri, I think that you would probably fundamentally say that you think she's right, or even if she's not right, it's going to happen soon. Like, that's the direction that we're going in. I don't want to put words in your mouth. So if you if you disagree, definitely please say so. But I guess what, what, what I would think is I don't think she's right. I don't think it's true that absolutely Jews are not welcome unless they stand up and say that they are anti-Zionist. But I do think that there is a dangerous current in which that is a, a too big of a minority and in a way that I'm really not comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Like, I do think that that is a strain. I don't think that's the overwhelming strain. I don't even think if we're, 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 we're talking about sort of like trends that that's going to, you know, overtake and that's going to be the, the absolute future. Like, I do not feel convinced of that at any point. But I do think that that is a strong underlying current that does kind of freak me out a little bit. And I do think that what that means is that liberal Zionists need to stand up. Right, and there are a couple organizations that are doing that. Right, and there, there's a there's something called, there's like Zionist, whatever. There, there's a couple yeah. groups like that. But I, I do think I, I do think that that's serious. Right, like I do yeah. I think that like 
people, right, a lot of people in the progressive world have really never met a Zionist. And they don't, they, they, they hear very superficial talking points, right? The same way, really, the same way on the right side, you really don't hear people who know anything uh, that's a little bit more nuanced than the right-wing talking points, right? Growing up, I feel like I heard a lot of right-wing Hasbara and I never heard a nuanced perspective, right? Okay. So I think that in general, overcomplicating the views of left-wing and overcomplicating the views of right-wing is important. And I feel particularly like me, Rifki, kind of like tied to the progressive world in a way that I think there, there's like a danger that I'm scared of because I care about this world. I care yeah. about the Zionist world and I care about the progressive world. Right. I mean, so you're acknowledging the that wing of the movement. I think it is growing and I think it is the future. But I don't think they anybody right now, almost nobody, including IOC, or wouldn't explicitly say, I don't know if you meant that, that the claim is that it's explicit, but that the Jews have to explicitly say, I am anti-Zionist. It's more just like an understanding and a discomfort that, they, that a Zionist would have in those spaces. Or if a Zionist is in those spaces, they have to keep that to themselves and wouldn't be comfortable sharing the fact that they're a Zionist. I think that's really what it is, which is very problematic. It's just a more realistic way of saying it, as opposed to, like, there is a literal Have you spoken to Zionists who have been in these circles? Like, where are you getting that from? I think that's just the perception. I could be wrong. I'm open to being wrong. I think there's just, like, the signs are, are all over the place, and you just see so many examples of it. I also, but, but more importantly, the point that I, that I want to make is that, to, to what you said, is that the... You're saying that the, a lot of these progressives, and AOC is probably a good example, just don't know a lot of Zionists and aren't familiar with where Zionism is coming from. And if they only were more educated, more familiar, they would be more sympathetic to it. I hope that's true. That might be true. But I think the reason why it's not true is that Zionism really doesn't fit in to the most fundamental philosophies of the progressive movement. Our partic- Jewish particularism, the uh, our, our calling ourselves a nation that is unique and different and that has a homeland that is ours, that is our homeland. And yes, other people can live there, but it's a Jewish state. Like everything about that string of statements is anathema to progressive values, to universalism. Like it just doesn't fit. So meeting a Zionist might make them more sympathetic on a human level and might th- make them more respectful you know, superficially, but on a on a more fundamental level, I, it just it's a, it's a clash that I think is unresolvable. So I, it's interesting. I mean, I think this is this is a deeper and a conversation that maybe we can get into further. But I think you gave a very specific view and definition of the word Zionism, okay. which I'm not sure that I feel comfortable like prescribing to. So mm-hmm. um, I think I think that's that's its own conversation. I think we have to call it here. Um, but mm-hmm. I think for for people who are not familiar with this story. Um, I think it's worth reading a lot more about it because we we really only skim the service and definitely read uh, Barry Weiss's article. And again, print it out. Use a highlighter. Use a pen. (laughs) Like, take notes. Like, it's the only way to deal with long articles. But don't waste paper. I mean, AOC, Green New Deal, I don't think she would want you chopping down trees so you can print out articles. Oh, my God. Oh, Yuri. Sorry. Okay. And of course, after you read all these things and after you continue learning about them and discuss them with your friends and discuss them with your family. And I know, you know, it's funny, I think about this a lot that we we started this podcast because we wanted to have better conversations at Shabbat tables. And Uh like now, who are we talking to at Shabbat tables? What's a Shabbat table? Like, we we sold, we, we, we usually keep 
several chairs around our dining room table and there was always one chair that we didn't like and we just sold it because we're like hey you know what we never need this anymore this is ridiculous. never you, you think we'll never go back to normal i mean that could be its own episode but when we go okay. back to normal we'll have a better chair but yeah. either way everyone please 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 the continue the conversation with us and with each other be in touch with us Join the conversation on our Facebook page, Talking Talkless Podcast. And of course, send us an email, talkingtalklesspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks as always to Drive-In Productions. They are the sponsor of this week's episode. And thank you to Triple Threat Trio featuring Rage Brigade. They are the official band of Talking Talkless. Bye, everyone. Zagazoon. Like